John Podcast Network. Dost thou have a bit? <laughs> uh, if I say a snay, does that mean that we doists not a bit, sir? <laughs> Do repeat what you just said, because um, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't understand it. Oh, God. Uh, Would it be weird if <laughs> Meatwad did Shakespeare? Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. <laughs> is that not, is that not great? <laughs> Ow, no, I can't do it. Wait. You can't do Meatwad, no. Now is the winter of our discontent. <laughs> Hi, Frylock. Now is the winter of our discontent. <laughs> I wish I could do Master Shake. Because Frylock just has a very, like, a deep, kind of serious voice. I yeah. can't quite do it, but I can approximate it. It's like... Yeah. It's like when um, Andy Samberg does uh, Holt's voice on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. Just like, hello, Peralta. You know, like, it's yeah. just, this is a deep voice, you know, resonant. Yeah. Try to get it as bassy as possible. Yeah. You know, to the home. That's that's a Frylock line. Yeah. And I can do Carl. Yeah. It's like my pool is tearing ass around the backyard. But it's standing still. Still waters run deep. Like that, I can do that. I can't do Master Shake. It's just like weirdly... And it's not like a... It's not really a voice. It's just uh, Dana... What's his... I can't remember his last name. But like just the way he talks. Mm-hmm. Beerman can kind of do it. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Beerman would... Um, too bad he's not on this episode. He's not on this episode. Um, <laughs> he'll be on soon. Uh, but no, Beerman um, would do the hidden track from the Aqua Teens uh, movie soundtrack, Nude Love. Oh, yeah. Because you don't really have to be able to play, like, anything to play it. Yeah. It's like, it's Master Shake, like, awkwardly strumming, like, an out-of-tune guitar. Yeah. And Beerman would do it, and it was, like, kind of weirdly perfect. <laughs> like, pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. I got trouble with the G. It's, like, one of the things he's, you know... Yeah. yeah, it's good. He can kind of do it. The rest I got, though. So, yeah, today we were doing the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. No. No, we're not. Do they have uh, one? Yeah, I didn't, I've never seen it, but everyone I know that saw it is like, it's just the show for like two, an hour and a half or something. Yeah. And I was like, that seems like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Soundtrack rules, though. Mm-hmm. I had the soundtrack. It's really good. The movie we're talking about also had a good soundtrack. Yeah. This is uh, part of our two-part Lovin' with Lerman <laughs> back-to-back. Yeah, so... Um, happy February. Happy February. Two years ago, we did um, uh, our first February, uh, you know, on the podcast. We did Hate Watch, Great Watch, Date Watch. And then the following week, we did a double date watch. Um, we tried, you know, we're like, oh, this will be a fun thing to do every year. We'll, we'll get, you know, a couple. We'll do one solo, and then we'll get like another you know couple friends of ours yep. to come on and we'll pick a movie that's like a good date movie or that they you know they consider a date movie and and then we didn't do that right well then um <laughs> some stuff happened you might have heard of uh, a pandemic and uh and oh actually that's still going on oh it's been several years we're going on three years of this nonsense wow hell yeah yeah so here we are so last february we just ended up doing um some great cinematic couples yes we did bill and ted and batman and robin yeah so this year the concept uh is 
we're going to check off some stuff that we've been meaning to do on the show for a while. Mm-hmm. What it is is Allison and I both have a Baz Luhrmann film that we like that the other one actively dislikes. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, that is their recollection. Having Both of us have not watched the ones we respectively dislike in a long time. Yeah. So we were like, oh, we'll we'll do this. We'll do, it's like a mini two episode, one month, Baz Luhrmann. Redemium story. Yeah, a Redemium. Maybe. 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 <laughs> um, a, a, a critical reappraisal. Sure. As the parlance of our times would put it. Yeah. Here's the thing. Sometimes you watch some things when you're younger and that may or may not reflect uh, your tastes as yeah. you age. Yes. Your taste change as you age. Um you learn and grow and have more experiences. You uh, appreciate things for different reasons. You see better good things. You see worse bad things. Yeah. You maybe kind of get some references more. Yeah, you also you know. age out of that um, realm where all of advertising and entertainment is pandering to you. Yeah. Um, so then you stop tr- trying to be represented by the things you're, you know, seeing or listening to or reading or what have you. Yeah. Um. Because you no longer give a shit about entertainments representing you, and you, you know, are your own person, and you have your own interests, and it doesn't matter. Right, and you're looking at things in, in hindsight and in retrospect, so then some things are kind of fun in the, it reminds you of that time in your life For kind sure. of thing, yeah. more so than, like, whether or not it's speaking directly to how you're feeling about the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about art, and all movies are art, whether they're good or bad, or, you know, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. <laughs> Uh, or anything. Which transcends such labels as good or bad. It might. I, I, again, I have not seen it. Sounds like it doesn't. <laughs> From what I've heard, it does not transcend those labels, but can't can't weigh in. But um, yeah, I mean, all movies are art. And the thing about art is, you know, the way it affects you, you know, you're not in a fucking isolation chamber. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into a movie having... Just come off of, you know, a long day at work, or had a fight with your garbage man, or you stubbed your toe, or you ate the best muffin you've ever eaten. Like, all these things, uh, you know, that affect your mood day to day also affect the way you're going to approach a film. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have liked Dirty Work so much if it wasn't also the day that I had the best muffin I'd ever eaten. Right. (laughs) I assumed that was true. That makes sense. That's one of the only reasons that you could love that movie that much is Great Muffin. This is the long roundabout way of saying that, uh, yeah, we're doing two Boz Lermans, one of which I like and Allison distinctly recalls not liking, and one of which she likes and I distinctly recall not liking. We both have our reasons for these things, and we will discuss them in our two, two-part Boz Lerman-a-thon-assants. Mm-hmm. Lovin' with Lerman. Yeah, we're going with Lovin' with Lerman. Mm-hmm. Lovin' with Lerman. We need, like, a jingle. We went um, chronologically and... Uh, in order of release date, you In mean? order of release date. Yes. And we're starting with 1996's Baz Luhrmann-directed Romeo Plus Juliet, which, spoilers, is the one I quite like yeah. that Allison quite did not. Now, have our opinions changed? Stay tuned. <laughs> Hello, excellent humans. Hark, excellent humans. <laughs> oh, God.
god. You gotta do that. Have... I, I didn't come up with okay. that. I was gonna just freestyle. Oh, okay. Uh, All right, go thou ahead. Thou art listening to another boy. There's no way to turn podcast into Town Crier. <laughs> There's no way to ye oldie a podcast. Uh... The world is but a stage, and all of us podcasting on it. I don't know. <laughs> um, welcome to another episode of Hate Watch, Great Watch. I'm your host, Hunter Bush. With me, as always, Allison Euclid. Romeo plus Juliet, which is how we will be referring to it. Yeah. Because that's it's got a plus. I don't know. Yeah. Also, it's one of the easiest ways to let people know to which Romeo and Juliet you're referring to. Yeah, and who cares? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. if I want to refer to something as Milo Ampersand Otis. <laughs> yeah. I can. I'll walk through the plot, and then we'll talk about our history with the movie. Well, the plot... The plot is most based on Most of you probably a, have to know. <laughs> based on a, a work you may have heard of called Romeo and Juliet. If you haven't somehow, or you don't know really, it's, you know, a young man, a young woman from two families that are uh, rivals politically, uh, and the young man and the young woman fall madly in love at first sight, as is the way of uh, being, you know, a stupid... Like fourteen year old, like they're like babies in that fucking play. But I, th- um, I think Juliet's supposed to be between twelve and fourteen, and I think Romeo is like seventeen to nineteen or sure. something. But yeah, yeah, they're fucking babies. They're they are. Yeah. Yep. With lightning quick pace, uh, everything. It's the most important relationship that ever could have been, uh, and then everything falls apart. And famously, they both die. Yep. So that's Romeo and Juliet. This has been your Cliff Notes podcast. Uh, you can just write that down verbatim. Turn that into your professor. Your English you, teacher. You, yeah. will, you will get an A. And if, <laughs> if you do not, send them to our address and I will fight them. Um, if you ever seen West Side Story, it's that. Yeah, that's how I'm going to fight them, like West Side Story. <laughs> A lot of snapping while jumping. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way and I have a big knife and now you're dead. <laughs> Is that how it goes? <laughs> they like to stab people in musicals, don't they? We also watched Carousel. A few yeah, Carousel's ago. a stabbing. There's a stabbing in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's the stage. The stage loves a good stabbing. Yeah. You can throw out nice red scarves. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. yeah like um um. Sweeney Todd, the yeah, Demon Barber the, of Fleet Street. Uh, my my brain was going the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and I'm like, yes, brain. But what is his name? And my brain was like, Demon <laughs> Barber. And I was like, you're not helping. <laughs> Did you have to read this in school? Uh, no, actually. Okay. We read other Shakespeare. Um, mm-hmm. We write, might have read... Because uh, Okay, here's the thing. So I was aware of Shakespeare because I watched a lot of uh, movies and cartoons. Mm-hmm. And there's a... You know, because Shakespeare is fucking fair use. So if you're, if you're like the DuckTales writer's room, you can be like, oh, let's just do a Shakespeare episode. You know, like, let's just do something that's basically the, the Tempest, you know, or like, let's do something that's basically Othello or whatever. And I also grew up in the 90s when, for some reason, oh, yeah. we were, like, whole hog on adapting Shakespeare. Yeah, you, know, you and I did uh, 10 Things, 10 I, things hate I Hate About, about You, which we also talked about. Shrew. Yes. Uh, and I think we, while we were doing that, we talked about O, o which is, which based is on Othello. Othello, and this, and, I mean, like, the, the, yeah. it goes on and on, yes, West Side Story. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things are Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. A lot of fucking things. Like, that's just, you know, famously... There are only, there's a famous quote that says there are only seven oh, stories. and then the Lion King doing Hamlet. Yeah, Lion King is very Hamlet, yes. Lion King was late 90s, right? Yeah, 90, yeah, yeah it's, it's probably around the same time as this, honestly. Okay, 94. 94, yeah. Like I said, famously, there are only seven stories. That's a, a famous quote. 
And Shakespeare um, wrote most of them. Well, yeah, I mean, like... Well, not, but I mean, like, yeah, he's using common tropes to a lot of those... Yeah, it's, you know, like, boy boy gets girl is one, you know, story. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one arc. And, like, revenge, that's another, you know, yeah. like, archetype and things. And he famously did several plays about kings. Yeah, So you're definitely getting into some of those yeah, yeah. You know, oh yeah themes. i'm sure sh- i if, if i had the list in front of me of what the seven stories are i'm sure we could pair them up with shakespeare things yeah. we, i mean like it's not that hard though that's the thing because yeah. there's only so many so yeah. like yeah we could probably pair them up with ducktales episodes too yeah you know and uh, doctor who stories and you know sure. anyway yeah. um but uh yeah so you know this is yes this is where the phrase star-crossed lovers comes from it's where a lot of yeah, uh, well, Shakespeare very famously made some shit up that then became popular parlance because his plays were so popular. Right, which is why when anybody's like, that's not a word, you just made up a word. I'm like, and your point being, uh, like I was, you know, I was a songwriter when I was in bands. I wrote songs for those bands. And I famously would like, you know, use intentional, not, not, I didn't set out to use bad grammar, but I was like, well, bad grammar or like this word doesn't actually mean this thing in this sense, like. It works in the song, in this, you know, so I will leave it. Yeah. Um, you know, like... Uh, Catorce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a U2 reference. <laughs> Which, to explain famously... Yeah. Uh, the, One, two, three, fourteen. Yeah. Uno, dos, tres, catorce. Elevation was the lead-off track from, and it was the first single from their 14th album, so Bono counts in, uno, dos, tres, catorce, and then they start playing Elevation. And, uh, you know, I... I speak enough Spanish to count to four. And I was like, that's not right. Yeah. I was like, did no one correct him? And then I realized it was, I was like, oh, it's their 14th album. I was like, cute. Well played, Bono. Golf clap. Yeah. Romeo plus Juliet. So I had to do Romeo and Juliet in my freshman year of high school. So this is how old I was when I saw it. And at the time, yeah, I was young and angsty. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was the hottest shit ever. He was in all the magazines, and I was like, he's not even that good, because I didn't really enjoy uh, his performance in Titanic. I didn't really like Titanic in general. It was kind of boring. Not enough car sex, not enough Bill Paxton. <laughs> yeah. No, it's weird, because there's a lot of like people in there that I really like, but I, I, it didn't capture me, and I couldn't really get why it was such a phenomenon. But well, also, you probably I didn't little, like them at the time. I was a little young for it, too, I think. As I say, you probably didn't like them at the time, right? Like, it had to be your first exposure to most of the people in that. I definitely had seen Billy Zane as the Phantom. Sure. <laughs> yeah, famously one of your favorite movies. <laughs> I mean, you know. Listen, I, I, got like another, I love Billy Zane. Yeah. It's like uh, if you crossed Batman with Indiana Jones. What's not to like about that? Yeah, what and did then, you have to do for school? Might have been The Tempest, um, King Lear, definitely, but not all of it. We did, like, a section of King Lear. Mm-hmm. There's probably more. Maybe I, I assume Hamlet, of course, but I know that I read Romeo and Juliet, and, um, like, I, I got a collection of, like, mm-hmm. Shakespeare, you know, and I just read that, that book. So whatever was in that, which had a bunch of the stuff that we had covered or would cover, and then had a few other stories, plays, you know. Because um, I did uh, Romeo and Juliet. Hamlet, I Missed Macbeth, and then uh, Othello. So yeah, um, I really liked this movie. I, I didn't really see it when it came out or anything. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a theatrical experience for me or whatever. It was just, it ended up on TV. I saw it a lot, and I loved it because, like, A, the soundtrack's really good. I had the soundtrack before I ever saw it because it mm-hmm. was like, 
a huge soundtrack and so therefore it ended up in the discount bin at like i'm gonna say coconuts <laughs> and then i eventually saw the movie i was like oh this is also good um i think the first soundtrack i owned was the first spider-man movie oh it's a good one Bar. yeah it's a banger yeah um but the second one has uh that dashboard confessional song that fucking tears that song is great vindicated uh, okay yeah so but yeah i really like this movie you know it resonated with me as a sad boy yeah I, um, as a romantic, even more than reading the, you know, the play did because. Well, so now in hindsight, I'm like, no, actually he's doing good acting. It's just that I don't think good. I like Romeo as a character, but that no, has nothing no. to do with how Leonardo DiCaprio is playing him. I think he's actually doing it with a fair amount of nuance. My only critique is that he's a little shrill when he's angry, but he is really going for like, you know, like unbridled fury, which is what those situations are calling for four yeah so i i i get a lot of that Yeah, he's not doing a performance yeah. uh you know sad crying or screaming you know thing he's really screaming or crying like yeah. he's really going for it yeah, yeah. And same thing with claire danes in this she does some real fucking ugly crying yeah that is like a thing that i don't think a lot of actresses nowadays in her position at the same age she was then would do sure because they would be afraid of coming off as goofy or getting memed to death mm. like look at this ugly cry oh look oh, we made fun of adam driver for whatever you know like, i'm just picking yeah. a thing you know like he punched the wall in that marriage story thing and that was the only thing anybody could fucking talk about i've never even seen that movie and i know yeah. he punches the wall we should apparently important we should watch that but yeah i mean you know i don't think a lot of actresses because she was young in the uh, claire dames was young in this yeah like, so but i don't think a lot of actresses in you know, would in her position would do a thing that was that emotionally raw and uncomfortably ugly. Like, yeah, but also, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like she's constantly getting like out acted in a lot of her scenes by. Well, other she characters. and Romeo are in different are in a different movie than literally everyone else in the entire film. Yeah, no, well, and and and, and I get that, is... and I get that also textually that makes sense because a lot of characters are in there for comic relief and to play the pit and all yes. those like classic like there's something for everybody Shakespeare stuff. I right. get it. Yes, that's what he does. But even when she's in scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't think that she's as nuanced or believable. Ooh, <laughs> counterpoint. Okay, Jane, you ignorant slut. Uh huh. I I think the only scenes she really works for me in are her and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Those are the only ones. Yes. I think in everything else, I can see what she's doing and it's good, but she is oddly out of tone with everything else in a way that doesn't work. Whereas which whereas with Romeo, when he's out of sync with the mood of the rest of the scene and the other players in it, it feels like a it feels like a byproduct of his character because he is so like in his own head, distracted. Like that's literally the fight well, not the fight, but the the play fight on the beach between yeah. him and Mercutio. He's like, oh, look, you're in love. And now you come alive. Now you're Romeo again. Because he's, yeah. you know, he's like, you've been a, a mopey piece of, you know, sad shit for God knows how long. Since yeah. before the play started. Yeah. And look at you. Now you're fucking, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm glad to see you back, homie. Yeah. And then they, they play fight on the beach. And then the real fight happens. And then bad stuff happens. So, I mean, you can also look at it thematically where, like, Juliet's not fitting in with her world. So having somebody yeah. that's, like, on the same wavelength as she is, you know, you're, you're kind of getting that as, as, as a text, or yeah, not, but sure. as, a, as a subtext there. And then Romeo frequently is 
not in the same headspace as the people around him because he has more information than a lot of the people around him for a lot of, you know, where, like, I don't think Tybalt knows that, like, he and Juliet are married and stuff. And no. so, like, Romeo's no, trying to de-escalate and yeah, Tybalt's yeah. just furious. Yo, by the way, okay. <laughs> Let's actually get into this. Okay. Um, But yeah, I, I think... So I really for... didn't care for Jamie Kennedy's performance. <laughs> and then the second You can worst... literally apply that to every single Jamie Kennedy performance aside from Scream and arguably Scream 2. I thought you also liked him in Tremors a little bit. The Tremors 5 or 6 or no. whatever. No? No. No? You just, I love Tremors. You just like that it's Tremors? Okay. I love Tremors. I even like the shitty other Tremors, but like, he doesn't really fit with that. He's It's a bad performance. I don't okay. like it. Why do they have the opening monologue twice? Oh, um... Because it starts so, with a newscaster thing, which yes, they then okay. end with, so it's bookends, but then they do kind of an inner world. Yeah, so, um... You know, to give people, Verona, where we lay our to, seat, it's the exact same give, dialogue. Give, okay. To yeah. give everyone context who's listening to this who may yeah. not have watched it, Okay. Um, this was the, you know, taking Shakespeare and updating it except for the language. So they said it in modern, you know... It's Verona, California. but it looks like L.A. or it's whatever. It's Venice Beach. That's or, why, oh, the, that's why Beach. the Merchant right. of Verona right, right, joke right. is so good. Yeah, they do a couple of references to other Shakespearean yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, they're trying yeah. to start the Shakespeare verse. Yeah. With sure. Benedict Cumberbatch as King Lear. He wasn't a thing at no, 1996. But, but some fucking executive just heard that his dick got so hard because <laughs> he just thought about all the money he could have. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, no, Shakespeare, bro. So mad at the way Hollywood is trending. But anyway, this was, yeah, the modern and updated. But, like, it's it's being directed by Boz Lerman, who has a very eccentric visual language yeah. and style and sensibilities. Which, let me tell you, visually, no notes. No, it's great. It looks great. The editing is sometimes a bit much. Yes. Um, the yeah, he does of... some weird, like, not quite slow motion, but, like, stuttery slow sequences yeah. that i don't entirely care for um but like emotionally resonant sure but again like you know like 99 percent of this perfect sure yeah the addition of cartoon sound effects is a weird choice that i don't entirely agree with and it's only in the opening scene oh the, um, the whole gas station standoff yeah i just like i think it plays better a little straighter it's still funny yeah it's still comedic it's still over the top it's not undercutting its own, like, sensibilities to do it. Yeah, that that scene was rocky for me. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard you know. to get into it. And yeah. then after that, everything is actually great. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's a good scene as written and really mostly as performed. But, like, it's, it's a little too much. Yeah. So, previous episode, uh, Natural Born Killers sort of toes into this, like... That opening scene feels more like Natural Born Killers than it feels like anything else. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like... Yeah, it's a little, like, manic yes, and it's, colorful it's and unhinged and... Yeah, yeah. okay. It's over-edited. It's very, like, yeah. you know, yeah. But nothing else in the movie really quite feels like that. It all feels modern. It just doesn't feel like that. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that was a dive-in-and-swim kind of moment for Boz Lerman where he was like, we're just going to open and throw them in the fucking pool and see what happens. You know, like... Yeah, maybe. And be like, the audience can either fucking get with this or they can't. It does make the rest of the film feel a little bit more restrained. Yes. Or not even restrained, but just like... It is. Yeah. Grounded. Yeah. Yeah, even no matter how crazy or melodramatic something gets, it's never as crazy or melodramatic as those first ten minutes. Yeah. 
Now, as for the framing device, uh, so the movie visually is, uh, it's it's all fucking, like, at, for the time, you know, West Coast fashion. It's all, like, vests, nice suits, Hawaiian shirts, and, you know, tra- dress trousers, you know? Everyone wields guns, which are, instead of being named magnums or desert eagles, are swords or rapiers or long swords or daggers or whatever, yeah, depending on the so caliber. So that you're not changing the, uh, the, the text dialogue, of the film. Yeah. yeah, which, it's cute. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I think it's really funny. I don't think you need the the word dagger written on the gun, that kind of thing. I don't think you need the, the gun to be, like, named sword version, like, sword series five or whatever. I just think that's a little, like, putting a hat on a hat. I, I liked it. I, th- you, I, I think if they are just holding a gun and saying, like, I point my sword at you, and they're already speaking in this fucking highfalutin iambic pentameter, you know, Shakespearean dialogue, you get it, and you're fine with it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we need to push in on, like, it's actually called a sword, you guys. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I'm sure. not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, yuck anybody's yum. If you like it, that's cool. I didn't need it. And there's a lot of neon. Yes. Uh, this is very the 90s aesthetic. There's a lot of angel things and yeah. uh, b- biblical imagery. Yeah. Um, which, so it's, it's really strange. It's really weird, like, alternate reality world building. Well, I think it's also, that, like, West Coast does have a lot more, of like, Latin sure. American yes. influences. Yes, 100%. And, but you know, they don't have, what they don't have, what they don't have yeah. are numerous giant statues of, like, saints. Well, so I think also some of that's a reference to, like, Rio and shit. <laughs> right, but I know, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not a reference to Rio because there's no reason to reference Rio there. Like, it's just, that's a thing that exists in Rio. So you're saying... Your argument saying it's a reference to Rio is like if we cut to, like, oh, the 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 Capulet crypt was a goddamn you know the Sphinx. No, like, oh, it's a reference to Egypt. No, my argument is that you're taking like those sorts of cultural tones and turning them up to eleven, extrapolating, extrapolating out like Latinness to a high degree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, it's it's a very stylized like that aesthetic. Okay. I think. All right. And so it's going the biggest representation of that you can find. Okay. I mean, that's 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 fair. how I read it, at least. That makes a kind of sense. Yeah. I just still think it's a bonkers choice. I don't disagree with it. I actually really wish, as a country, we had more just giant, weird statues. They don't sure. have to be saints. They could just be people. Yeah. Philly's got a lot of art. It's just not always, like, the biggest art. No, we have a lot of murals. We got a lot of murals, but we do also have, like, a lot of outdoor sculptures and stuff. Yeah, they're weird, though. Yeah. Which I like. I'm not complaining. Yeah. I just wish as a country, like, instead of being like, uh, you want to take a road trip this summer? Sure. Where do you want to stop by? Oh, Grand Canyon and Mount Rushmore and the same stuff. I just wish you'd be like, oh, um, giant Elizabeth Krebs. She's the mother of Halloween. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you should, you should look her up. She's fun. Sure. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, yeah, research Elizabeth Krebs. She's kind of the person that cemented a lot of what modern Halloween is. Um, I think the series, I, th- I want to say on Prime Lore... I think talks about her oh, in one of the, the episodes. Pod- yeah, based on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's where I saw that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never watched that. Um, okay. I I've downloaded a bunch of lore episodes, but I haven't listened to them. Yeah. I'm never in the mood. Yeah. So yes, that's the aesthetic. It's very West Coast. You know. Yeah. So I mean, like, we'll probably talk a little bit about some of the costuming specifically, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's very like high fashion yeah. for the time. Mm-hmm. Well, half of them are. I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of the division. Is the, the Capulets are? It's a weird division, okay? Because like Papa Capulet is like not a working patriarch. They have a lot of money. It's old money, you, you know, kind of thing in the, the portrayal in this. 
he's just kind of resting on his laurels and like letting the business run itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's played by uh, uh, Paul Sorvino. He's a very relaxed patriarch. Um, meanwhile, his, you know, soldiers, you know, the rest of the Capulets uh, are very like put together. They largely Latin, but dressed very, they, they dress, they dress and kind of handle themselves like gunslingers. Mm hmm. Like, somewhere between flamenco dancers and gunslingers, which is, like, a perfect fucking thing for this movie. So, Tybalt, which Juliet's is, cousin, is played right. by John Leguizamo, who I love. Tybalt, alias the Prince of Cats. Yeah. Well, the Capulet yeah. crest is a is yeah. a cat. Yeah. He he does a lot of that standing, like, hip forward, mm-hmm. kind of, and, and chest Arms spread. Out. Yeah. Yes, big chest. So it is it's a very, very dramatic dancer's yeah. stance. Yeah. A lot. And honestly, the other dudes follow his yeah. lead. Yeah. He's John Leguizamo fucking great in this. Looks welcome and back is to the, just great. God. Welcome back to the fucking podcast, John Leguizamo. You're so much better in this than you were in The Happening, buddy. Dude, like, probably my favorite performance this film. Yeah, sure. Like. Fair. Really, really very good. Again, I, we were talking about this as we were watching it, he delivers all of his lines through clenched teeth, yeah, which I normally like would kind of irk me, except that like his character is supposed to be just absolutely a ball of rage the entire time. Yes. Yeah. Tybalt, Tybalt is... in the text is just a entire flaming asshole. Well, yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> I mean, psychologically you could break it down, you know, certain ways, but like he's just unbridled emotion. Yeah. Like in every scene, yeah. he, He's a character who's always looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll go carousing with the boys and, like, we'll fucking give each other some shit, like, kind of fight. Or, like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, fuck with my family a little bit. No, he's the, he's the kind of dude that goes out to bars to fight. Right. And But then, like, yeah. but then, yeah, the instant he's like, oh, I can actually, like, we can have a sword fight? Yeah. That's even better. Yeah. He's perfectly happy to just, like, trade insults. Oh, sure. But, oh, yeah, we can actually draw weapons? Well, now we're talking. Yeah. Um, and Legozam also, he just has like such a fucking face Yeah. for this. Yeah. Like for that, like talking through clenched teeth, he just like, he's just sneering all the time. Yeah. He's seething. Yeah. With yeah. his like fucking cheekbones and they give him this one like long pasted on curl on the side of his face. Yep. It's such a good look. Yeah. He, he just looks incredible. The fir- in the first scene, he's wearing that vest, which has like the Virgin Mary airbrushed on it. Yeah. It's fucking rad. Yeah. He just like, he's yep. incredible in this. Yep. Um, not my favorite performance, but it's like by a fucking hair. Um, there's three, I think really good performances and two of them are like notable. And one is like a supporting player who I think two, there's two actually supporting players that I think really fucking nail their roles. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to them. He shows up in this scene. Oh yeah. Um, well, by, by contrast, and I don't know, I don't remember this as being inherent in the text at all. Uh, but like in the portrayal in the movie, Papa Montague is uh, Brian Dennehy, mm-hmm. who's barely in it, but he seems to more be a working like, you know, well, mafia boss kind of vibe. Like he's somebody who is like he's in a suit and he's taking meetings and he's like in the limo, but he's like not talking to you like that kind of thing. Like he's busy. And as a result, his soldiers on the street, his family, they're. Just fucking good time boys. They're yeah. fucking, you know, carousing and, you know... Tomcatting? Tomcatting. I don't know. But yeah, they're, I don't know they're, what you're trying to say. <laughs> but yeah, they're just like a bunch of like good time shit rat guys. Like, mm-hmm. the exception being Romeo, but he's 
a friend of them. You know, like, they're all friends with him. Yeah. But, like, they're all out just fucking driving around. They're driving around probably, you know, catcalling women. It was the 90s. We were still okay with it, I guess. Um, uh, that doesn't happen in the in this movie, though. I'm just, no, I'm yeah. just extrapolating no, yeah, from personality. No, yeah, you're they seem like that kind of group. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Zach Orth, um, who is, like, a also ran. He was in many things here and there. You might recognize him. Um a lot of like romantic comedies from the early two thousands, like is I think where he peaked kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Kennedy, right? Of course, we yeah. mentioned, and um, Dash Myhawk, who also like has been around for a while, pops up in yeah. things from time to time, and has a complete Star Wars name. Yeah, sure. Dash yeah. Myhawk yeah. could easily be in the cantina where it's like, you know, barkeep, I didn't order this, you know, Sorellian gin. And they're like, uh, says on my tab that it's for, uh, Dash Myhawk. And then the guy goes, ha ha ha, no, 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 sir. I am Lack Sivrak, the werewolf man. That's the real name of the werewolf <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay. And, Good nerd flex. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> I know a lot of their names. Let me push um, my glasses up. No, see, so he's also up there with performances that I like. He's... See, that that's wild, because he's like... But but Benvolio's Benvolio's kind of a wet blanket. He's mostly in there. <laughs> to... Kind of a dope. Yeah. 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 Um. If if Mercutio is the id, Benvolio sure is. is the super ego. Mercutio is to... the god of this goddamn movie. Sure. 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 That's sure. my favorite performance. Yes. Yeah. If you're looking at like you know if if Romeo is like the ego the ego the self sure. he has his two like. Buds he's palling around with. Good time buddies. His his cousin Benvolio. Yeah. And his uh best friend Mercutio. Yeah. Being like the straight guy and the just absolute, you know Yeah. Bonkers Tasmanian devil, the unbridled portion of your psyche. Right. And you know, and and also like the the more creative one and the more liberated one and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So and the thing is, like, yeah, I absolutely really liked his performance. I thought that his straight guy wasn't like whiny or boring. It was just earnest. Sure. Okay. So yeah, I, that's a surprise. That surprised me. I don't think it's a bad performance. I'm not, uh, you know, I just am surprised that it resonated with you that yeah. much. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a role that could be thankless. Ba- yeah. And badly played easily. Sure. Speaking of badly played Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't even know. Uh, again, it's been many, many years since I read any Shakespeare. Um, he plays Samson. Samson. Yeah, I don't remember him at all. Uh, it's literally just like the handful of guys that are milling around in right, the beginning he's just of the play, another and guy. then he's just like in the background for the rest of it. Yeah, he's just another yeah. guy. Yeah. And the thing is, like, so I, I, you know, he doesn't have a, a ton to work with as far as like, here's where you build your character, Jamie. So I think they they pick somebody who is big. Yeah. You know, because they're like, this character doesn't have personality. We'll pick somebody with a lot of personality, and that will balance the characters who are actually characters who are being portrayed. They pick Jamie Kennedy. He has hot pink hair, and Jamie Kennedy kind of talks through his face. Like, he's kind of all the time. Like, yeah. And so him delivering, I bite my thumb at you, sir. I bite. Like, is, it's, it's like fucking Joe Pesci. Like, it's just like barking. <laughs> Yeah. And even Pesci, I think, would have nailed this. They should have just fucking... Can we... <laughs> Remember those people, those fucking stupid babies wanted to take the rat? I, it might have been fake. Somebody told me it might have been fake. But 
the petition to take the rat out of the end of The Departed because they said it was too on the nose. They wanted to CGI out the rat. Um, I remember hearing about that, yeah. And again, it might be fake, but like, I feel like we could maybe petition to just swap. It's we're going to swap Joe Pesci for Jamie Kennedy in this. I think it works. (laughs) I think it's good. All right. I'll start that (laughs) change.org petition right after we're done here. Yeah, please hurry. This is important. Um, and I like, I generally have goodwill towards Jamie Kennedy, despite like, yeah, he's not doing it for me in this. It's really irritating. Yeah. Yeah. That opening scene is, uh, the Montague boys pull up into a gas station while they're there. They don't realize the Capulet, some yeah. Capulet boys pull up and they, they are were, also they were the distracted by some Catholic school girls and somebody does the, uh, double, double toil and trouble line, which is a reference yeah. to, uh, Macbeth. Yes. The witches of Eastwick. <laughs> That's the weird sisters. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's uh, Leguizamo might say might be the one that says that. Oh, is, is it? I actually really didn't catch it. Yeah, it's fine. Might not be. I think that was, we were still looking at everybody's feet and stuff. Yeah, there was a know? lot of, um, which by the way, Leguizamo is the Prince of Cats has these like, you know, cowboy boots with like metal heels that have cat faces on them. Yeah. And you know. That, and, ch- that like ching like spurs. Ching, ching, yeah, yeah. He walks around and like. You know, somebody fucking designed that, so Boz Lerman was like, I'm putting that on camera. You know, like, Boz Lerman, if you don't know, released a single in the late 90s, early 2000s, which was just like a commencement speech put to, that somebody had put to music, and it's the sunscreen song. Do you know that? No. I'll link to it. And it became this weird, like, novelty, like, one-off, one-hit wonder. But it had, like, a video on MTV. It was, like, huh. popular, and it was, like, you know... But trust me, on the sunscreen, like, because he says, like, always wear sunscreen. Like, that's one of the things. And I don't remember what it's actually called, but, like, it's one of those, like, the margarita song, Mm -hmm. you know, like, in parentheses, like, the sunscreen song. You mean the pina colada song? Pina colada song, yes. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I meant. Escape. Who gives a shit? It's a pina colada (laughs) song. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about my favorite performance, which is Mercutio. Harold Perrineau, who I think a lot of people would know from, like, Oz and Lost... If yeah. you're like, oh, which guy on Lost was he? He's the guy that yells Walt all the time. <laughs> Walt! Walt! And here's the... He can... He he goes big in a lot of his performances yeah. in just the right ways. Like, no, he's... I, I, honestly, extremely fucking good in... I mean, that's why he's my favorite performance. He's yeah. extremely good in this, and the character is weird. It's a hard role. So he shows up, and they're all partying on the beach at this busted-out amphitheater. He shows up and he starts giving everybody these little cards and their invites that he has scored to the Capulets like masquerade ball. He is in like a silver, you know, two piece dress, like skirt and top and, you know, strutting and dancing and basically doing this like big drag performance, like on the stage of this amphitheater. But like he's singing along to the music in the movie. The music isn't playing in the scene. Is right. my argument in that scene. Right. Later, he's also doing this at the masquerade ball, but the argument can be made that the music they're playing yeah. at the masquerade ball is what he's singing along to. Because if we learn anything from Wedding Crashers, it's that you should definitely be the center of attention if you can handle it. Did we learn anything from Wedding Crashers? I don't know. All right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm just talking about the as a character, like, he, he can hear the music's score and soundtrack. Yeah. Um, you know, which, like, you know... We're talking about Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. 
you know, Puck is a character that directly interacts with the audience as well as the cast. He's somewhere in between. The cast doesn't know the audience is there, um, but Puck definitely does. Yeah. And he directly addresses them, you know, and things like that. And, like, Mercutio in this, while he doesn't directly address the audience, does serve that function of, like, a higher plane of existence. Yes. Which... And he's also acting as the, you know, fickle finger of fate. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, we're going to go to this party tonight. You're going to take some E. And pertinent to our last episode, Romeo, Leo DiCaprio, you're going to be on acid at the fucking aquarium. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, also it's that they know that, like, his current love, Rosalind, is going to be there. Sure. And so that was part of the reason, like, oh, yeah, we're going because it's going to be good for you. You could actually see her and stuff. She's, like, the MacGuffin of this whole. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's her last name. Yeah, Ros- Rosalind of House MacGuffin. Yeah, sure. Um, they all have fucking their house, you know, sigils on the bottom of their guns. Yeah. And I was like, how come, like, try hard fucking cool guy fucking, you know, like, gangster wannabes or what, what people that want to be fucking, like, I'm a professional killer. You're 17, you know, Scott, calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, how come nobody adopted that? Like, and I was like, oh, you know why? Because this movie's probably too fun and they can't. Like, it's not serious enough. Yeah. It doesn't take itself seriously like I do. Yeah. If Tony Montana had it, they'd Oh, my it. God. If Tony Montana had it, they'd come in their fucking pants. Yeah. Uh, Tony Montana, he's got the fucking... Yeah. Probably have House Baratheon ch- symbol on the bottom. He'd, he'd probably have a cheetah or something. <laughs> yeah, who yeah. knows? He'd have a chainsaw in a shower. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know if my I... My house sigil is a chainsaw in a shower. The greatest tragedy of Scarface is sadly not the story of Scarface himself, but it is the fact that all these fucking chuds have made enjoying Scarface hard to do because it's just a bunch of people that are like... Well, it's people not understanding what we're doing here. Well, yeah, it's like, did you watch the movie that you are fucking (laughs) like... pretending the last ten minutes didn't happen. Right, they're like, oh, I'm gonna do everything exactly like Tony. Okay, he dies, like, real bad. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that, Like, kind of what happens in this movie. Johnny Legs dies the fountain. Oh, you mean like specifically? I thought you meant oh, yeah. overall how people misunderstand. People always talk about Romeo and Juliet like it's the greatest romance. Oh, it's right. not. It's the greatest no, it tragedy. Ends a, it ends in a double suicide. Well, that's not yeah. even the point. It's, it's a tragedy. It's that yeah. no one stopped these two kids and just said, Thou art young. Calm thy fuck down. <laughs> Thou dost not know shit. Manure. <laughs> now, to be fair, Shakespeare's not a hack, so he put like a ticking clock in this. Yeah. Which is... If Romeo doesn't fucking hurry up and, you know, ideally, like, make away with Juliet, marry her, and then Vamoose shakin their names and their livelihoods yeah. and their inheritances and disappear in the countryside yeah, she's, and live, she's gonna get live happily ever after, she's going to be married to somebody else. That somebody else is in this Dave Paris, yeah, played by Paul Rudd. Yeah. Now, I want to point out that I... Paul Rudd also understood the assignment, as the kids say. As the kids say. Paul Rudd fucking nailed it. Because we've all seen Paul Rudd now act for decades, right? And he plays Paris like a goddamn idiot. And it's hilarious. Uh, The only time I've seen him do this is the uh, Parks and Recreation, where he's the Sweetums' son. (laughs) And he's just, like, painfully obtuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, just blissfully ignorant of so many things that are going on around him. Yeah, I think the, you know, the Masquerade Ball was a chance, I think, for Boz Lerman and his costume department and stuff to really be like, we're going to 
remove a couple layers of facade and show you who these characters are in oh, a yeah. couple of instances really, yeah. really well. And one is that Paris is dressed like an astronaut because he's from fucking space. <laughs> he, like, at one point there was, like, fireworks, and he turns around like he's never seen anything in his life. Like, he's got this open mouth smile. He's just like, hey! It would make a beautiful gif. It's, the, we laughed out loud. Yeah. Like, we guffawed at the television. It's so funny. And, like, again, that's, I've seen Paul Rudd smile and laugh in hundreds of films or whatever. Like, his whole career. Never like that. Yeah. It's a choice that yeah. he's making to make Paris a fool because Paris is a fool and yeah. a cuckold. Um, not, well, because officially he's not ever Juliet's husband. He's their betrothed. Sure. Like, it's a thing that's definitely happening, which okay. is, that's why the ticking sure. clock works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the, the masquerade is... And also, uh, Papa Capulet is basically just Dionysus, god of wine. Yeah. Bacchus, yeah. Or, Bacchus, yeah. 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 If, uh, if Roman Greek, Greek route, depends on, yeah. yeah. Your preferred flavor. Yeah, or you know what? Let's just go with the universal hedonism bot from Futurama. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, he's basically just like, we're all Wait. having a good time, right? I'm fucking, I'm hanging out. We're all hanging out. Everybody, let's just chill. Yeah. Which is like, that's his management style, so to speak, you yeah. know? Juliet's an angel. Tybalt is a devil. Yes. Romeo is a knight. Yeah. They don't have so much a meat cute as it is a flounder encounter. <laughs> is that your bad joke that you told yes. me about? Yes. That joke is so good. Are you kidding me? She warned me before we went on the air. She's like, I have a bad joke for you during this episode. And I was like, all right, I can't wait. That's a good joke. You were wrong. That, okay. that joke is good. Um, so this brings me to a very important point. This is serious. Like, Boz Lerman is operating, at least at this point, I can't speak to his whole career because I haven't seen all of it, but like at this point, is operating on a level that so few filmmakers actually operate on. Which is, he knows, when, when he goes into this movie, like, you know, this scene or this scene or this scene are going to be the things that everybody uses images from to, to put in their articles about this movie, right? Or to put in the, like, trailers so, and stuff and but all that. But, like, a still image. Yeah. A still image. Yeah. yeah. And he, you know, in this, the, the first time they meet at this masquerade ball, and they, you know, yes, uh, uh, you know, Romeo is on <laughs> ecstasy. Um, it, the whole Queen Mab like soliloquy or whatever that uh, Mercutio does is in this kind of about drugs. Yes, it is about yeah. drugs. Yeah, it's about, about drugs. Yeah, it's great. Which I think it's yeah, wonderful interpretation stuff. It, it ends up really working for like it's small things like that that are like a really great like updated adaptation. For yeah, me. yeah. Yes, because it like you know none of it sounds real because we're so far removed from this mode of speaking this matter yeah. of speaking right mm -hmm. but when you can get into the rhythm and get on that level then like it all that makes sense and is like eloquent yeah like and it's an elegant solution to to this yeah because uh, like that's like we sort of talking about like love as an impairment but then he's also talking about an intoxicant as an impairment and, right you know these things work on these levels yeah um so Romeo is on ecstasy. He's, uh, you know, fascinated by this fish tank, which, again, if you've ever been really high at an aquarium, I get it. It's yeah. also, he stepped away from the party. The yeah. party is a lot. It's all these people. It's all this music. Fucking Mercutio is, is that, doing a fucking is show. Is that essentially a wall to the bathroom as a fish tank? Not sure. Because the one guy's in a little alcove behind him urinating. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> So that seems like a little dubious uh, floor planning there for me, but sure. Hey, rich people, dog. Yeah, I guess. Fair Verona, dog. <laughs> but like, yeah, he's like, really dig these fish. And then on the other side of the glass appears a beautiful girl. Yeah. 
And they have their little meet cute and whatever. And then she gets uh, flounder take... encounter. Their flounder encounter. <laughs> she she wanted me to say it. Their flounder encounter. That's because you then... were using the wrong term. I sure. And then she gets you know whisked away by her like um, handmaiden. I don't know what the, it's the nurse, nurse, but like which is Miriam Margolis, and then yes. uh, oh, oh, her oh, mother. Oh. Putting a pin in that, Miriam Margolis. Do you know? What previous Hate Watch, Great Watch episode she appeared in? No, I know that her name is familiar and stuff, but I don't remember. She was the landlady in The Apple. Oh! oh she's done a good. ton of voice work, and yeah. she's appeared in many, many, many movies, but I was like, I know we've covered her in something. Here's the thing. When they're getting ready for the party, yeah. her and uh, Juliet's mom, who's played by Diane Venora, who wasn't stuff that I really knew, but I thought she was great in this. Just like shrilly, just like Juliet, Juliet. Yeah, she comes out in like a skimpy negligee and this like see-through house coat. Yeah, with, with her the hair like up in a uh, you yeah. know in a little fucking wig cap, and because she, she's preparing for the ball tonight, she's yeah. gonna have to get all done up. But she's looking as for Cleopatra. her daughter. Yes, as Cleopatra, which is perfect. Yeah. Like it's again, it's it's yeah. it's boiling down the characters to an image yeah. that we understand culturally. Yes, which. Motherfucker, if they made this movie now, do you know how culturally bereft it would be? Everybody would be Marvel characters and shit. It would all be IP. Yeah, probably. You know, like fucking Tybalt would be fucking like Morpheus or whatever, you know, like, mm -hmm. and they'd be like, look, do you get it? Like, uh, I just like, we're so culturally bereft. It makes my head fucking collapse in on itself like a goddamn dying star. But I'm old and I remember books. Books were good. You guys should look at them. Um. Yeah, I just like it's 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 appealing to the lowest common denominator because then the most people will come see your movie and your movie will be a success. But what is the measurement of success when you're making art? Is it financial gain or should it be, you know, impact? Cuz like I know like occasionally well, the two overlap. The first Matrix is where the two overlap quite I mean, strongly and st people is... still manage to misunderstand that film yes. phenomenally. But, but yeah, that that is frequently the problem with you know, monetizing an art form is that you are going to... Right, which is why I propose salary caps for everything everywhere. Yeah. And those caps should be decided by the people that don't have any goddamn money because we know how little you can get by on. So it's like, oh, cool, you know, oh, Spider-Man versus the Baker's Dozen. That made 60 bazillion dollars. Okay, cool. Well, your salary cap is five mil and the rest of it donates to charity and environmental funds. That's great. Good job making that incredibly, uh, you know, successful movie that benefited, you know, all of humanity. That's cool. That's great. Good job. This is my PSA. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? The movie. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I didn't take enough notes. Did you ex oh. already exhaust your selection of notes? No. We had a whole thing of um, um, the use of still images and stuff, and you were going to talk about specifically like them and well claire danes and leonardo caprio in the elevator yeah and um how exceptional that looks well yeah so you know i wrote a column i still read a column where i break down remakes and adaptations and uh, you know long gap sequels uh write it for moviejohn.com you should check it out it's called everything old is new again but as a result you know i end up trying to find a photo to go with like at least one of the movies you know for each release date you know column header that kind of thing mm -hmm. so few movies either have an image in them that tells you what the story is visually or release that image as 
you know, something you can find on IMDb or in a press release. Mm -hmm. That it's, like, insane to me. Like, so many movies are just, like, a photo of one of the stars in the movie. And I'm like, that doesn't tell me what the fuck the movie is. The movie is not, like, this guy's in it. Right. What's the movie? What's your angle? Oh, it's a time travel story where, like, that guy and, like, a trained grizzly bear team up to, you know, teach Hitler how to do hopscotch or whatever. It's like, well, then I need something that tells me any of the rest of it. But they're like, no, 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 but look, Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm like, that doesn't help me. Uh Every movie has a picture of Benedict Cumberbatch now. Yeah, but this is Claire Danes with her little fucking wings. Right. And Leonardo DiCaprio in, like, his kind of a little bit too big armor. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's that he's got the shoulder things, but not the chest because that would be yeah. audacious and stupid looking. Sure, yeah. yeah. You ever see actual like armor at a museum? Probably not. But, not you, but listen. No, I absolutely have because the Philadelphia Museum of Art has a decently sized oh, armory so with good. like just a silly amount of beautiful old ornate weaponry. Not if you're planning a siege, then it's not enough. Well, sure. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so, you know... Looking at this image of, like, the two of them, their first kiss in the elevator. The elevator is, like, gold metal framework with, like, just light coming through these, like, frosted glass panels, you know. It's beautiful. But, and he's got these, like, big shoulder, like, metal shoulder guards and arm, like, sleeve guard things. And then, like, a chainmail shirt. No, that's for your shins. You know, I don't know. Never mind. Um, Yeah. But, like. He's got the army johns, but just uh, uh, a chainmail instead of a chest. Plate. Right, it's just a chainmail shirt with these, like I said, shoulder and, and arm, you know, armor. And then, yeah, she's in this, like, white, like, frock dress kind of thing with these angel wings. So, like, looking at it, they're both in costume. And, like, that's that's the genius of it is, like, you look at it and you go, oh, this looks like Shakespeare. You know, like, yeah. but it also looks just modern enough that you know it's not traditional Shakespeare. Yeah. No, but, like, so few films have that as in their DNA, like where I could take an image from it and you get it. I mean, so I've talked, I'm sure a little bit about this. I really like directors that have a strong idea of films as a visual medium. So like that have like a very strong style and have like very particular ways of like shooting or people that they work with for costuming or whatever. Right. And those tend to lend themselves more to, yeah, still shots being very emblematic of the rest of the film because it's really showcasing that visual style. Not everybody seems to have a handle on that, and I think that that's kind of a shame because it's underutilizing your medium. Yeah. yeah. This could have been a book then, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, especially, like, if it's a major release where it's like, you had some budget. Like, you could, yeah. you know, choose to make this look like something. Yeah. And you have chose to make it look like nothing. Yeah. But yeah, that's the the one thing with Boz Lerman is he definitely has a oh he's visual swinging for the style. fences yeah yeah but like it's it's not even just like oh audacious visuals because like that's a Zack Snyder like he's got a good sense of like visual things like yeah. eye catching visuals they're not True. always good and they don't always mean anything but there's a lot of thought that went into this you know this film okay so at the masquerade ball they have their first kiss she gets whisked away to like hang out with Paris and you know that yeah. kind of thing that's when Romeo realizes, realizes that she's that a Capulet. She's a Capulet. So he's kind of bummed, and that was that's kind of when everybody realizes that, like, these are Montague boys here, and Mercutio's like, hey, we should get the fuck out of here. So they leave. There's a really funny, um, you've all checked your guns at the fucking gun counter out front, so you have to go through, like, a metal detector after dropping your guns off before you go into the party. So we see Mercutio go in and, like, 
exchange his ticket for his, you know, gun, you know, those gun harness things that go over your shoulders. I don't know what they're specifically called, but detectives wear them on television. It's just called a shoulder holster from what I'm seeing. Shoulder holster. So, you know, and he puts his back on and then Romeo's just standing there staring up at, you know, Juliet, who's out on her balcony. And Mercutio has to, like, reach through the metal detector to grab him and be like, come on, dude, we gotta go. And the, you know, alarm starts going off. That's kind of funny. It's like, there's a lot of little comedy in this. Oh, totally. Um, There's a really funny gag when um, Paris is first, like, petitioning Papa Capulet for Juliet's hand. Mm -hmm. Where we see, like, it's Paris talking to him, like, in his office. And then it cuts to Paris still talking to him while he's in a sauna. And then it cuts to, like, him still talking to him at a pool hall. So, yeah. like, he's, he's been all day being like, and here's another reason why I should marry your daughter. Why it's beneficial to both our families for me to, you know, marry your daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Paul Rudd. I'm Dave Paris. Yeah, it's pretty great. And there's stuff like that that's just, like, a very subtle little joke. And it's very funny and it works. Mm-hmm. But so, uh, they start to drive away and Romeo gets out of the car and he's like, I'm, I, have to, I have to see her. I have to talk to her. So, he climbs back up into the grounds and he sneaks up and... Um, I love how uncool he is in the courtyard sequence. The court like, the thing is the courtyard becomes a teen romance. He's such a dork here. Yeah, he's it's doing, so good. He's doing physical comedy of like bumping into a table and not being able to like catch it before it falls over and then like flip flopping around. It's really funny and it's really good and it's a totally different movie. It's great. It's not a, a self-serious drama, you know, like and it helps underline that like Romeo and Juliet's story is melodrama that only fucking teenagers can feel because like all these feelings are brand new you know this love is the deepest love that anybody has ever loved because it's the deepest thing i've ever felt right because you finally get it yep because you've heard love songs and you've read love stories and you finally get it yeah and um but then the dumb thing that teenagers do not all but a lot is that they think that therefore their feelings are more important than the feelings of anybody else around and they become myopic and uh-huh. only obsessed with their love. Yeah. Or that it excuses bad behavior. Right. So a thing that he does, that, that Boz Lerman does here, that's really smart, is he inverts the typical association with this scene. This is the where for art thou, Romeo. Yeah. What life scene. for yonder window breaks right. is the east and Juliet is the sun. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So obviously you're familiar with it. Yeah. Congratulations. But what do you associate with this visually? No. Yeah. I it's mean, Juliet like... up in a tower. Yeah. And him pining up at her, yeah. right? Yeah, maybe scaling a trellis, which happens here, right, but, but they, it's not done nearly as no, suavely. They, they invert it. They have him starting to climb up to her balcony, yeah. and then she comes out of a fucking elevator on the, the level below him. Yeah, yeah. So then she's doing this monologue with her back to the wall. He's up on the wall like goddamn Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, afraid to move because he doesn't want to freak her out, and also he's listening because she's talking out loud about, about her feelings him. for yeah. him. And so he's like, this is pretty sweet. Yeah. I don't have to ask. Um, Yeah, so she's doing this soliloquy and, you know, instead of him being out of her view on the trellis underneath her balcony, he's like creeping behind her. And as she continues, he like climbs down and walks up right behind her. (laughs) And it's very creepy and very funny. It's a great visual, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a reinterpretation of that cliched scene you know yeah but by the end of the scene she's back up on the balcony yeah and he's once again climbed the trellis and it's the traditional yeah you know like uh, arrangement for this sure with her like leaning down through the um you know lattices or whatever on the on her balcony to like Mm -hmm. kiss him yeah 
and she gives him her, her little pendant necklace or, or cross on a chain. Yeah. That's what it is. And like, it's great. Like a great reinvention of that cliche. Cause there's a, mi- mm-hmm. a million people would just do exactly that. Plus they kiss in a pool. Yeah. So that's a thing. Um, <laughs> you know, when they first meet, they see each other through a fish tank. Yeah. Uh, and that's how they fall in love. And then in this, they literally fall into water. They fall in love. Yeah. You know, and like, and, and then like, also it was the nineties. So it's very, the wet look was very know, big. Uh, very so many, aesthetic. Yeah. So many fabrics had like a shimmer. Yeah. Uh, gel hair gel was selling by the gallons. Shimmery makeup. Like shimmery the, makeup. the iridescent. The, yeah. Uh, that, that blue frosted eyeshadow everybody had. Yeah. Every, it was, is, the is wet look was right very big. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to say that Romeo plus Juliet is responsible for it. I am just saying that the case could be made. Yeah, no, I just, I was really impressed with that. I had, hadn't thought about that scene critically, but like in forever. I haven't seen this in 15 years. But yeah, no, like as far as like this being a modern adaptation of something, there are some very smart choices made for how we're doing this, where it's even staying if, true to the was, text, but it's really... Even if this was just a stage play, doing it like that, inverting the expectation for her to be up on the balcony is really smart and, you know, engaging because it changes the energy. You don't go into the scene knowing, you know, how it's going to feel to have it play out. Right. Well, and it lends it more suspense because if he's just hiding on the balcony below, it's not as tense as if he's right behind her and she could turn around at any second. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's yeah, yeah, it was really great. And then, but then to be like, and everybody loves a good kiss you know, over the edge of the balcony. So like, we'll have to have her back up there by the end of the scene is great. Yeah. It's, you know, having your cake and eating it too. Like totally. It's, it's amazing. It's such good direction. Mm -hmm. Oh, so Miriam Margolis, she's one of the supporting characters that I think nails her performance. Um, She's manic to a certain like level in scenes for like comedic effect that I think would work in like almost any movie. I don't think it's overly silly or anything. I think it's, you know, well handled. Um, even when playing off of Juliet's mother, who's very big and going very big in the scene, it works without trying to outdo her. One Two supporting performers, I think, really nailed their character in this yeah. performance. Um, the other, I think, is the sheriff. The, the prince? Y- yeah, in this, he's the chief of police, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, in the, in the original text, there was actually a prince, but we right. don't use a king. So it's uh, Captain <laughs> Prince of the uh, Verona PD, played by Vondi Curtis Hall. Yes, Vondi Curtis Hall, who is like a, a notable character actor. but I th- And he's only got like three or four scenes in this, really. Yeah, but, but he's like, just there to be, you know... He's like... doing the lethal weapon, like stern mm-hmm. police captain thing with a little bit more gravitas and a lot more, you know, flourish on the language. But he's delivering it like that, like, you know stern police chief yeah and it super works it's a super good adaptation like that one-to-one ratio works really well and you know his you know so like when he decrees that like you know romeo is banished like it carries weight yeah you know and it takes away from they're gonna pronounce the word weird yeah by having this actor who can deliver that with some gravitas right and they're pronouncing it weird because i am a pentameter Yes, and you know, iambic pentameter. And his, you know, at the end of the film, after all the kids are dead, him, you know, coming out and and you know, chastising both families and being like, you know, this is both of your faults. And he strip says like, even love couldn't save you. 
you know, couldn't save this these bloodlines. Yeah. And he's like, and I'm culpable as well for l- allowing both of you to do this in my town. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's like, all are punished. Like, I think he fucking nails that little monologue, yeah. like, so well. It's a great, great note to end the film on. I would agree. We also get Pete Postlethwaite. Yeah, who's uh, the father. Yes, he's yeah. the father. Um, character actor who has a lot of, you know, stage experience and things so like this sounds natural coming out of his mouth more than anyone else in the entire film yeah well and like he's very expressive where it's yeah. it's lending a lot of personality to his lines yeah he and has he has this... he has pretty dry stuff because like his one monologue is like sort of a foreshadowing of like Poison. he knows how to yeah he knows how to use plants so because he's the one that gives Juliet the like not actually poison yeah, yeah. you know gonna pretend that you're dead stuff yeah, spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers for Romeo and Juliet. But, uh, um, no, but it's it's a really well-written, I mean, like, hey guys, I don't know if you've ever heard, I, this is a hot take, Shakespeare's a pretty good writer. Because he's talking about, it's all about seeds and, you know, and making plants, you know, like, uh, procreate, and it's, you well, know. And, I mean, he's also, he's talking about that uh, within different plants, they might have two separate natures, some yes. are harmful, some are helpful. Yeah. And that men are like that. Yeah. There are two wolves inside you. And yeah. <laughs> doesn't say that. There but... are two Romeos inside yeah, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a really well-written scene that's like... Okay, so there's a thing that bothers me in a lot of movies, right? Mm-hmm. Which is... Uh, I, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but like... Somebody in a movie early on, you know, under the opening credits is fixing a, a sign... Uh, fixing a, a fence on the edge of their property with a hammer. And they come in, you know, their wife's like, Honey, lemonade! And they come in, and they put that hammer down, and the shot lingers on the hammer for a long, long time. Yeah. And then the movie goes on, and, like, some kind of villain shows up, mm-hmm. and, and they appear in the story. And, you know, at some point you're just like, yeah, just hit him with the fucking hammer. I know that's what you're going to do. Because mm-hmm. you spent so much time telling me the hammer was important visually. But what this does is, uh, the smart thing is to use the hammer, make it the subject of a scene, in a way that seems like seems like it's not the point. Right. Seems like the point of the right. scene is something else. Right. So this, it's plants as a metaphor, but then it becomes something much more literal later. Right. Yep. And it's plants as like two metaphors. It's yeah. plants as metaphors for a couple different things within the text of the of the story. Sure, yeah. And then, you know, at the end, he's like, and also, from all my plant knowledge, here is a thing that lo- acts like a poison that's not really. Yeah. It's fucking really good. Yeah. And like, you can get Shakespeare. That's available. Yeah. How come nobody writes this good? How come every time I watch all these fucking dumb thrillers and you need like eight different scientists or whatever to show up in a movie to be like, well, here's how we explain this thing. Shakespeare would have boiled it down to one character who would have got it done in one monologue that Pete Postlethwaite would have fucking lobbed the ball into the air and then hit a goddamn humdinger over the far fence. Like, oh, and it rhymes. And, no and it rhymes. No and it rhymes. And it's in iambic pentameter. <laughs> it doesn't even do those cheap ass fucking rhymes like I do. Where I made up a whole bunch of words. No big deal. Yeah, no. Fuck. Culturally bereft. <laughs> uh, oh, you really liked the one Postlethwaite um, line delivery? Which one? So, Romeo shows up and he's like, Father, you know. He's like, I'm in love. Oh! He's like, I'm in love. And he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, what's the well, what's so- ex-girlfriend? Oh, uh, Ro- Rosalind. Rosalind. And he's like, oh, something about Rosalind. He's like, no, no, Rosalind is trash. I'm done with her. And he's like, this is, you know, Juliet, she's a Capulet and whatever. And he's like, is Rosalind who you pined and everything, you know, over 
uh, already forgotten. And he says something, I didn't write it down exactly, but it's like something like, young men's love lies, not in their hearts, but in their eyes. Yeah, and he His says pause. it with like a, a pause and an eyebrow pump where like, I was like, oh, he's making it sound like he's gonna say thighs. He, he's, gonna say, <laughs> he's gonna say thighs or dicks or, you know. I and mean, I don't think I've ever seen that being a line read for that. And it's so good. No, I was thinking about it after because after you were like, "Damn, that's a great line." I was like, "It's true." That's why I wrote it down. So in case you didn't, yeah. But I've I've seen this play put on a number of different times and ways, right? Yeah. And I don't think hardly anybody no no reads they, that like that. No, they it's do so it so good. I've seen it done more as like, oh, the frivolity of yeah, like youthful emotion. Like, oh, you were in love with this one yesterday. You're in love with this one today. Yeah. It's not in their but, hearts, but in their eyes. Like, right. oh, the new thing you've seen. Right, but this is making it an entendre where yeah. you're really talking about somebody thinking with their dick, where, like, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's great. It's a great yeah. performance. Yeah, yeah. Props to people yeah. for it. Yeah. I don't know if he got that off of anybody else or anything. Like, maybe that was a yeah. way that it was played before. I don't know. But I hadn't seen it, and I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, no. It's yeah. great. Um, you're right. Yeah, that was definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely great. high point. That's really good. Um, so Romeo confirms his marriage plans. He's like, you know, if I bring her here, can you marry us? And he's like, sure. Uh, and he does. I mean, basically, that's basically what happens next. In, yeah, he goes to hang out with the boys, yeah. but then he gets called away by the nurse because they're all orchestrating. Yeah, yeah, and so, but they do get married, and that's the he starts the sermon of their their wedding with. These violent delights have violent ends. Yeah. Um, which was made famous uh, again recently with <laughs> Westworld. Yeah. That's like a key phrase for that uh, that series. But yeah, that's, is, that's not from Romeo and Juliet though, right? It's from the or Bible. Jesus said it and then he pulled out an Uzi. Oh, that is from Romeo. Okay, it is. Yeah. It, okay. What would it have been from before this? I don't know. The first season of Green Acres. Shakespeare loved Green Acre. No, I wasn't sure if we were adding in dialogue from other oh, yeah, no. things into this. Oh, you mean from another Shakespeare or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 yeah, this is... So, yeah, they get married. And then, you know, now Romeo's on top of the world. And then Tybalt shows up. And so I still I still don't get... what What was Tybalt's deal? Was he just looking for a fight? I believe so. It's just that, right? Like, because he—it's not it has nothing to do with Juliet. No, so, I th- I think he may or may not have known that they crashed the party, but he has no idea that Juliet and Romeo have gotten together. Yeah, but he is like specifically there not to pick a fight with the, you know, Montague's, but Romeo. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I can't remember textually like what his whole issue. I mean, like generally, like yeah, it's the families are beefing and stuff like that. Now, but also, isn't Tybalt, like, the, he's, Well, he's Juliet's cousin, so he's related to the family. Right, but isn't he also Romeo? Isn't he, like, some bastard son of a Capulet and a Montague that's, like, I thought that was in the text. No. Oh, I I thought, I I thought that was, yeah. Because Romeo's talking about, like, that's why I I love the, you know. Well, no, it's because, it's because Romeo knows that they are now family because he's married his cousin, but. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I thought that was, I don't know. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's been a long time. But, but yeah, so he comes to the beach just looking for Romeo for a fight, but not for any specific reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing if, because, like, that's the thing is, I, (laughs) 
I'm now realizing that, like, last time I read Romeo and Juliet yes. was the last time I had seen this film. So, uh... And also, like, guys, I mean, you know, I'm not a Shakespearean Old English scholar. Yeah. Like, parsing out that language is difficult. You get the gist, but, like, nuance is sometimes very lost on you, you know? And, yeah. like, yeah, I read it when I was in the uh, junior high era, like, maybe, yeah. maybe early high school. Like, so my comprehension was even lower than it would be now. Like, I had been exposed to less, you know, so appar- words. Apparently, in the text, it's that he recognizes Romeo and his boys at the ball and wants to confront them and is told not to start shit at the party. Oh, okay. And All so right. then later on, he comes around to start some shit like that. And is specifically calling out Romeo, but then Mercutio does his shtick of, yeah. you know, Romeo's being not, too cool for school. Because, yeah, yeah Romeo doesn't want to engage. Well, and Romeo's not on the beach in this scene. So Mercutio, you know, there's the it's a famous, I mean, this is a famous sobriquet or whatever from, the, you know, from the film, or from the from the play, but, you know, um, uh, Dash My Hawk. Benvolio? Benvolio. He's like, you know, by my head, the, you know, the Capulets are here, and, uh, Mercutio says, by my heel, I care not. And he puts yeah. his feet up on the table, like, which is great. Yeah. They walk up and they're like, you know, they're calling them out. And Mercutio turns around like he wasn't aware they were there. Yeah. Which is, that's big dick energy. Yeah. I was like, oh, you guys? Oh, you guys are here? Welcome. He and Tybalt get into it. So it's like literally like the two best performances in the movie squaring off. Yeah. It's great. Uh, then Romeo does show up. And, you know, and yeah, he's he's basically saying that, yeah, he doesn't want to fight and stuff like that. But his like saying, like, you don't even know how much I love you is him being like, you know, we're family now and you don't know it. But right. 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 That makes sense. It's it's dramatic irony. We're like, we know what he's talking about, but Tybalt's not going to know what he's talking about. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that was it doesn't matter. Yeah, Yeah. I was just wrong. Yeah. This also is interesting because, yeah, in. In this scene, um, Mercutio is mortally wounded and, you know, in the play they have swords and in this they have guns. But so the way that they kind of like, you know, angle that out is that they're, they're in that they're in that derelict amphitheater that I yes. mentioned. So there's this big um, mirror or pane of glass or something. Yeah, I think it's like a window yeah, or something that's, that's like laying, fallen out and is laying, laying on the beach. Flat on, yeah. the gr- on the ground. Um, Tybalt gets thrown into it and yeah. it shatters underneath him. And so then he takes the shard of it and like tries to stab yeah. Romeo, Romeo and Mercutio like turns him out of the way, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, Romeo's already been injured; like they've beaten up, you know, each other. They had like a fist fight kind well, of. Well, not I even mean, beaten up each other, but it's Tybalt is beating up on Romeo, and, and Romeo is fu- refusing to fight. Yeah, trying to defend, like yeah. protect himself, and yeah. you know, um, he also gets very bloody. For yeah. it didn't feel like he he earned that. But it's drama. Sure, he's bleeding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you like didn't it, notice it's, that part where Romeo's head was under the ring for an inordinately long amount of time. Yeah, like it definitely is like, oh yeah, while Tybalt, Tybalt, was in Tybalt a kicked hold. him like twice while he was on the ground, and now suddenly his face is all bloody. Like it's crazy. He has mouth bleeding. Yeah, I just figured that was an editing thing. Like maybe yeah. there's more punching or something. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, I I, I get why we're doing that, but like I was just one of those yeah. things where I'm like that didn't feel earned. Well, and you know, this is everybody being like, you know, are you hurt? And Mercutio's like, it's but a scratch, but a scratch, you know? Yeah. And he's wandering away and he's clearly fucking hurt. He says three of the best things. Yeah. Because, um, like, Romeo's like, you know, courage, man. Like, 
So no, if it's just a scratch, like, why are you behaving like this? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And he says... Because Romeo's like, kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's think, <laughs> he's only thinking about his bride. I, yeah. And, uh, but he goes like, he's like, well, if you come find me tomorrow, you'll find me a grave man. I know. Which is like an incredible pun. Fuck. Yeah. And then, you know, he mutters uh, a plague on both your houses. Yeah. And then he says like, they have made worm meat of me. Yeah. And he turns around and screams, a plague on both your houses. And then a storm rolls in. (laughs) It's fucking great. Like, it's a great scream. He curses the fuck out of everybody. Yeah. And the storm rolls in, and he falls dead, and then a car chase ensues. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I, watching it now as an adult, knowing what I know, the way it's shot, I don't think they had money for a car chase. No, you do get, and and this is one of the few things of like Leonardo DiCaprio really going for it that I appreciated, which is just like he's very bloodied and supposedly driving this car and just flashes of like his face contorted in like crazy rage. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's really good. <laughs> his face acting is amazing. It's really good. Like he, yeah, he's he's definitely temporary insanity like unhinged like yeah. yeah. Just enraged and you know, yeah, chasing these guys. But all the driving is shot in super close up yeah. of them behind the window yeah. uh, behind the wheel or from far away, and so um, the Capulet car has, like, windows that are up, and you can't really see who's in it. The Montague car is a convertible, so it's only ever shot from the door down. Yeah. You never see, you know, anyone driving. driving it, uh, which yep. is fine. Like I, yeah. I, And you know what? Honestly, because that first scene specifically was so stylized with its direction, yeah. this doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like a cheat. No. I just noticed it because I was well, looking at it, you know, like... And I mean, also, like, that's kind of not what we're here for. We're not doing, mm-mm. you know, we're not doing, yeah. um... The, it's not Fast and the Furious. Yeah, or it's not the last action hero Hamlet or anything like that where we're doing it a, an action movie. We're we're making this a romantic drama, and we don't necessarily need a car chase here, except that that's how we're adapting it. But so, like, we're kind of cutting some corners, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I think the car chase yeah. is, you know, indicative of rage, you know. It's, yeah. You know... And so the the cars crash, the Capulet car flips, and um, Mercutio yeah. like crawls out of it. His gun goes spiraling out through the broken window, you know. Yeah. And they both go for it, um, but Mercutio gets it initially. Mm-hmm. And, or not Mercutio, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mercutio's uh, dead. Tybalt. Yeah, yeah. Tybalt, sorry. Yeah, uh, Tybalt gets it initially. John Leguizamo. Yeah, and he's, you know, got the gun to, to Romeo's head. Well, no, he's pointing the gun at Romeo. And Romeo, Romeo puts it onto his forehead. Yes. Because he says, and, Mercutio's soul is only slightly over our heads. And he's like, you know, basically like, he's like, he just died. And like, this is, this yeah. is, you know, like. One of us is going with him well, or maybe both. And I don't yeah, care. He keeps like, repeating, either you or I or both must go with him. And he, yeah. he screams it like three times. Yeah. And it's great. It's yeah. and really it's, good. It's, it's the thing of like, you know, are you going to shoot me? Well, then do it. Yeah. As, as that move tends to do kind of unnerves Tybalt enough. Yeah, that, that Romeo then, gets the gun. Yeah, then Romeo gets the gun. He pushes him up the stairs and then picks the gun up and shoots him and he falls backwards into the... Into a fountain. Fountain, yeah. Yeah, like... Say hello to my little friend. Yep. And then kind of realizes that he is hardcore fucked up and... Uh, well, okay, so in that scene when he's holding the gun and he's just about to shoot Tybalt, he's been, like, busted in the face on yeah. both cheeks. Yes, so both cheeks, he has, like, streaks of blood down. Yeah. And it's literally like he's crying blood. Yeah, a little bit. 
And I was like, well, that's also, I think, not an, you know, accident. Yeah. That kind of, you know, because there's no... Because that's They've also, also taken some... the blood off his mouth. His mouth's not bleeding anymore. It's no. just these two, like, tear streaks of blood down his face. Yeah. And I was like, he's literally crying blood. Like, he's going to murder because of his sorrow. Yeah. You know? And I was like, I that's g- pretty fucking good symbolism right there. Again, man, uh, I think DiCaprio is one of the people that can, like, cry on command and stuff. So, like... Oh, dude, he's he, also he's... like very wet eyed. Oh yeah, and like rage crying. Yeah, Ugh. and like it's ugly, man. It's yeah, great. It's but great. like it, it works very well here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is when he gets banished. Yeah. Uh, because so nobody gives a shit that Mercutio was killed, but they all give a shit that Tybalt was killed. Well, Mercutio was a friend of the Montagues. Yeah, but he was but not the a best Montague. guy. Okay. But that doesn't matter in politics. I know. I would. I would argue the inherent hypocrisy of like. I would argue that Romeo pals around with people that are generally better, smarter guys than him, and he kind of gets a lot of them fucked over. Yeah, I mean, like when we were introduced to Romeo in this, he's journaling. He is. (laughs) He's he's on the beach. He's big sad boy. He's smoking a clove cigarette and journaling. Is it a clove? It's a cigarillo, maybe. Okay. Something. That yeah, that's. It's either a brown clove oh, or it's a cigarillo. Oh no! I, I thought he had a cigarette. I thought that um, Tybalt Mercutio, had. Or, yes, Tybalt has a cigarillo. Yeah, yeah. Tybalt always has a cigarillo, but I thought yeah. uh, Romeo's was also brown, which I thought was either a brown clove or yeah. Maybe. yeah. And I was just like, yeah, okay. I know, I've been there, my dude. Yeah. It wasn't a beach because I'm not like beach adjacent. Yeah. It was a rooftop, but the energy's yeah. the same. Yeah. If I and... walk far enough, I could die. And, you know, he's, he's all... That's a good joke. <laughs> if I walk far enough, I could die. Yeah, you're on a beach or yeah. you're on a roof. Yeah. You know. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's a pretty good joke. Yeah. That's a pretty good sad boy joke. But, um... He does spend a lot of time being a sad boy. Yeah, he's a sad... I mean, like, that's Romeo. Yeah. He's lovelorn. Yeah. And also, I remember those sorts of relationships in high school when it's like, you're you're full of hormones and it's your first couple times doing this and, like... You can lose yourself very completely in other people. You gotta lose and... yourself in the moment. You own it. You gotta uh-huh. never let it go. <laughs> Vomit on a sweater already, Mom's forgetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that two episodes in a row we referenced that song? Yes. I was that song in like, whatever, 10 years, 15 years, whatever yeah. that was the thing. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet sleep together. Yeah. Because they are husband and wife. It's, and it's, she she knows that he's killed her cousin. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's she's busy crying. Uh, uh, Miriam Margulies comes and is like, all she does is yeah. fall down and cry and get yeah. up and fall down again. <laughs> it's yeah. like, really what she says. It's yeah. great. And it's and that's great. the thing is, yeah, her family's all like, oh, yeah, she's just totally torn up over her cousin's death. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah. That's, no, she's, the nurse knows. Yeah, yeah. She's a confidant. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. And, like, okay, so this is, this is... Uh, a part where I, I do like how Claire Danes plays this, where, like, she's really torn and yeah. fucked up about it, and then sees Romeo and is like, you know... She's crying on the bed about, yeah. like, have you killed my cousin? Like, how could you do... Th-? Like, it's basically yeah. like, we're married, like, I, like, I love you. Tell me you love me, you kill my cousin? Yeah. And then when she sees him, she smiles. Yeah. Like, and I was like, I, I think that's real. It feels yeah, real. it does. And so that was pretty resonant, where it's like... Yeah. You know. I, I honestly, I think it's a very good performance. I just think that not entire. I don't think it's entirely her fault. I don't think it's entirely not, but she is getting outshadowed by everybody. Yes. Like yeah, 
because any her, any scene her character is small. Yeah, it's an internal character. It's mostly yeah. her like pining and then you know and and reactive. Yeah, rather she's than very reactive. rather than active. And I mean, like you know, let's not can... cancel Shakespeare, but he he wasn't well, the best at writing strong female characters. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. I know. It's fine. She's not a bad character and she's not no. an empty character, well, but she is strongly reactive to what is happening as opposed to, you know, Romeo, who is the main character and therefore much more active. But they also, she also, Claire Danes in this is also dressed and styled very plainly. Like she's. Yeah, surprisingly so. Yeah, she's not. Yeah. Like her, her well, ponytail in this love scene is elaborate. But that's it. Like, everything else, like, her clothing, for the most part, is very plain and very, like, unassuming. Yeah. And her hair is not elaborately styled, for the most part, or anything. Yeah. Like, she doesn't have crazy makeup. And, like, this is a movie where she could have had crazy makeup and it would have been fine. No, like, but I think that this is really going into that whole, like, you know, virginity, yes, purity. Yes, it's going for purity and simplicity you know, as, as synonyms. And, 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 yes. and the beauty of youth. Sure. And the ignorance of youth. And, like, and here's that the thing. Whole thing. Baby ass Claire Danes in this is beautiful. She's yeah. like so pretty and like she's a great actress. Uh, even on fucking was it Homeland? I didn't see Homeland. I only saw the first like half of the first season, but you know. Yeah, she was on Homeland. Yeah, she's like the main character or whatever. It's her and uh, dude from Dreamcatcher that I can't remember his name. Yeah, it turns out I really don't. Uh... And Mandy Patinkin from Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Uh, future and, episode. I mean, another stuff. No, too. that's it. <laughs> He's on Criminal Minds. My name the... is Inigo Montoya, and first I am on Criminal seasons. Minds. In the first two seasons, and really, like, I was so bummed when he left. So they um, make love. The love scene is really sweet. It's very intimate. It yeah. feels really intimate. Yeah. Like more, it's it's, it's not. Well, and it's also it's like, not erotic, and it's not saccharine. No, it I was really, gonna say it's a little it's a little chaste. In, it is very. Yeah. It, yeah there's it, there's no sweaty abs or anything in it. Like, but no, like, we're taking each other's shirts off, and then it's morning. Right, but, like, yeah. he, he pulls her shirt off and then, like, holds her, like, very close. He's taller than her. So he's, like, looming over her. He's kind of, he can kind of, and they're both very slim. Yeah. So he can look, like, straight down her back. And so he's got his hand, and his hand, like, covers the whole of her, like, sm- small of her back. And, like, he's just, like, kind of caressing her. It, it, it does. It feels, like, awkward in a real way, but also very intimate because it doesn't feel... Well, because they can't hear the music. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Feel, it doesn't feel practiced, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like, oh, this is how we should shoot a love scene. This no, is what's going to look good. It's not porny at all. No, no, it's... but it's also not like love scene. Like those are two yeah. different languages. No. But yeah. like, yeah, it's it's just it's it's sweet. There's some yeah. consoling there, you know. Hmm? Again, it's it's the things that people know, and he knows that he has done wrong, and that he is here to be her husband, and also to be apologetic for how things shook out. Yeah, you, you know? know, apologize with that yeah, D. Pretty much. Yeah. So Juliet has to be wed to Paris. Um, well, that ain't gonna happen. Yeah. So um, she, you know, she and Paris yeah. are at Father Postlethwaite's. Yeah. And he's like, well, go, Paris. I need to talk to her alone. We need to talk about, you know, wedding plans. And Paris is like, yeah, whatever you say, I'm a dum-dum. And he leaves and it's great. Yeah. Um, and again, this is, none of this is a knock at all on Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is nailing this performance yeah. because Paris... That's what needs right, to happen. Paris is a clown. Yeah. And playing him as a clown works because he's yeah. a clown. Yeah. Um, he's blissfully unaware of everything that's going on with everybody else. I just got a stupid amount of deja vu. Ooh. Did we ever talk about 
Uh, Paris? Yes. No, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, never heard of them. Are I feel they like friends there was somebody else. <laughs> it's oh, no, it's a ghost. Oh, my God. Ghost. Yeah. So, and then the plan, famously, is that the father, Father Postlethwaite, will give you, uh, will give Juliet this serum. A draught. A draught, yes. That, that will. Acts like a poison. Right. Um, well, and he it says, will simulate he says, death. Yes, he says yeah. you will be cold and you will have no breath. Yeah. And everyone will think you are dead and you will be taken to the giant crypt in the center of town, which is awesome. It's yeah. a giant stone fucking, you know, yeah, it's a crypt. It's a mausoleum in the yeah, middle of fucking downtown with, L.A. They fill with neon crosses and flowers and candles. Fuck yeah, dude. I want to go there right now and take ki- drugs. It kind of looks like the wedding church at the end of Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, yeah. You're not far off. Yeah, no. No. Yeah, where like, it's like you put a lot of things inside this space, so now the space looks even crazier than like it would have otherwise. Yeah, but on Crazy Rich Angels, they have, there's like water on the yeah, floor. Yeah, there is. I fucking and hate I, that. Oh, see, I felt like there should have been and then there wasn't <laughs> because also it was the 90s and everything should right. have been wet. It would have, been, it would have worked here. Yeah. If I ever go to a goddamn wedding, a destination and, goddamn wedding, and you make me walk around with wet fucking shoes the whole time, I will ruin your marriage. I will fuck both of you. Well, you're going to put a plague on both your houses. I will put a plague on both your houses. Yeah. With my infected penis. I'm oh cutting my this God. Out. Come on, man. I'm cutting this out. Yeah. No, I'm not leaving it. It's uh. funny. Infected penis was my punk band. If he leaves it in, you get to take a drink because if, if he cuts, if he says That's right. If I say out, I'm cutting it out and I don't, uh, you get to take a drink. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, she will take this draught and, uh, will fake death and she'll end up in the crypt. The crypt is great. And then he, uh, you know, the father, will write letters to Romeo telling him of the plan so Romeo can show up on, like, it's four and twenty days, is what he says. Four twenty. Blaze it. And, you know, rescue her from the crypt, and they can disappear because everyone will assume she's dead, and he's vanished, and they can start yeah, their life together. Yeah, because he was vanished. Yeah, because he's vanished, and he vanished. Yeah, like and you they do. And they can start their life together. And so that's the plan, but Balthazar... Played by oh, Jesse Bradford. Okay, I was just going to look up his name. Yeah. Yeah, so, Balthazar. So, weirdly, Balthazar is played by Jesse Bradford, um, who is of Swim fan and Bring It On fame. Oh, yeah. He yeah, looked yeah. a little familiar. Yes, he's, okay. uh, he's uh, you know, he was around. But, like, weirdly, he wasn't played by Balthazar Getty, who, if I'm not mistaken, was in the Pussy Posse with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh-huh. And I just think that's weird, where it's like, oh, Balthazar, that part should probably go to my friend Balthazar Getty. I mean, like, I got nothing against Jesse Bradford. I like, I, I actually really like Bring It On. Also, by the way, they're making a Bring It On yeah, sequel I and it's a horror movie. That. Yeah. I am so fucking thrilled for this. Yeah. Cannot wait. But yeah, um, Swim Fan, I think, see. is very good. He's very good in those things. But, yes. like, he's not anything in this. But, he's I nothing. mean, also, yeah, Swim Fan, like, he's not doing the heavy lifting, you know? No, no, no. Maybe future episode. I don't know. I kind of liked that one. That was that was on TV a bit. Listen. Yeah. Any any movie we haven't covered is a future episode, and I'll say this right now: we might even fucking recover an episode we've already done. You know why? Because you don't fucking make the rules. We make the rules. You don't make the cuts. I make the cuts. You don't make the cuts. I make the cuts. <laughs> and he shows up uh, to tell Romeo the wrong information. He's like, "Oh, your girl's definitely dead. I've seen it." Well, so I. Th- He's trying to do good. I'm not yeah. saying he's a bad guy. I'm not saying he's doing it on purpose. But yeah. he shows up and he's like, she's yeah. definitely dead. I've seen it. Yeah. Situationally, it's a wrinkle. Right. And that is the wrong information. Yeah. Because he doesn't know the plan. Yeah. And he should have just fucking kept his mouth shut. Why would you? Motherfucker is living out there away yeah. from trouble. Why yeah. would I go tell him you got to come back to trouble? 
Yeah. He's out in the desert. Right. Let him live out there forever, thinking his wife is alive. For Ezert. No. No. Better than Ezra? No. No. So, but yeah, let him live out there forever, thinking his wife is alive, like living a life until he's like, hey, what? And we're like, oh, she died like 20 years ago. We didn't tell you because you were much happier. You figured out the right temperature to microwave that watermelon. Oh. <laughs> Cut that out. Yeah, what are you, right for American Pie? American <laughs> Pie 3. Water, go, go into the watermelon patch. It's not really a watermelon thing. Uh, Pumpkin patch is a thing. Honey do me. Honey do me. Yeah. I mean, that's good. It's not a watermelon. Can't though. elope because my wife is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's real good. I know. You have to leave it all in. I, I was going to leave it in anyway. That. That's real fucked, though. <laughs> anyway. So... <laughs> So Romeo right. returns. He actually gets real poison from, by the way, the apothecary played by M. Emmett Walsh. Um, he's a great character actor. He's in Blood Simple and a million other things. But just like he's, I fucking he, love Blood Simple. He's he's <laughs> early in the film. Um, you know they're hanging out, and uh, you know he's the guy who has like he's a coat checked their guns. Yeah, and so like. Romeo goes up, well, he's yeah. like, hello, my good man. And Emma Walsh just, like, looks at the sign that says, like, no ticket, no gun. <laughs> yeah. And that just made me laugh. And I was like, oh, it's Emma Walsh. Does he have a non-speaking part? Because I totally forgot. And then, you know, he shows up at the end and he gives him the poison as the apothecary. So, um, yeah, Emma Walsh is great. Yeah, really got to make ends meet. Both gun check yeah. at the pool hall and then also he uh, make of the poison. Uh, make of the poison. Yeah, no, he's great. Um, and then when he enters the crypt romeo had earlier alluded to having visions of his death yeah. what he thought was his death was it him or was it juliet no it's him it was him okay. yeah he he said like it's me and you know he's talking about it like yeah he's talking about his death but what we see is him in this blue like hawaiian shirt entering the crypt with the neon crosses and all the flowers and shit and so when he then when he enters you know there it is and i was like oh yeah. that's cool yeah, yeah yeah and you know he thought he was seeing like his spirit in this crypt this fancy elaborate crypt but what he you know he's a person he's visiting his dead quote-unquote dead wife she ain't dead it's kayfabe so i think this scene actually plays out incredibly well this is another thing where you're taking the text and you're actually doing some things that makes it a lot more um tense yeah and like interesting because yeah you're not just being like oh i'm turning a stage play into a movie right it's Be you're making a movie from this yes. text yes because like yeah he comes up to juliet he's like oh you know you're still so beautiful you still have all of you right know, and so that's what's called dramatic irony yeah, is that yeah. we as the audience know a thing that the characters right. do not which is yeah. that she's not dead so when he's yeah commenting that yeah. she's still beautiful how are yeah. you still so beautiful after being yeah. dead for so many yeah. days your your cheeks and your lips they're still right. so pink you know and we and... know it's like she's not dead dude right and if you don't right. know how the story's gonna end you're like right. she's alive he's got to figure this out right and so like we even see like and her hand starts to move well he's he weeping yes he's weeping he yeah. takes his ring off it's on a, it's on a chain around his neck with her with her cross yeah he puts the ring on her finger with a chain still in it which is yeah. important uh, as a as a stage direction thing, I want to bring yeah, this up. Sure. And then yeah, he's he's like weeping, and it's great. It's a great yeah. performance from him. And so he's like kissing her face and like talking yeah. at her face, yeah. and then he like puts the ring on her finger, and then he kisses her hand. And when he kisses her hand, 
her like eyes flutter a little, but she doesn't quite wake up because yeah. she's coming out of the effects of the poison. And then he goes back up to kiss her face, and when he kisses her face, her fingers twitch, yeah. and you're just like, "Fuck!" He just keeps missing the evidence that yeah. she's alive, and it's like it's so tense and so yeah. it, it's so engrossing. It draws you into that moment more right. than every other time I've ever seen this right. play performed. Every other time that I see it, it's like they two lay, monologues. Right? They it's, lay perfectly still right. until the other one is dead, and then right. they wake up. Like right. And this Which is, is fine for and a And this play. is so much more of, like, a, a dialogue in yeah. a weird way that, like, I've, again, haven't seen it done before. Yeah. Where, you know, he takes the poison, stuff like that, and she wakes up. It's, and, and the timing and is, and the timing and editing in this is, like, yeah. it's it's surgical. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Because, yeah, he, like, it's a tiny, little, tiny vial of poison. And he tips it to his lips just as she like touches his face. Yeah. And, and so he's, he's like surprised. swallowing it yeah. while he's reacting. Yeah. And it's just like, it really drives home mm-hmm. how close yeah. they cut it where they could have had a happy ending. Yeah. And like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And you know, he's like, I thought you were dead. And she's like, what happened? And he's like, I took poison. And she's, you know, her line is like, you drank all of it and left not a drop for me. Yeah. You know, which is well, like... and uh, again... Extremely emo. Any, anytime I've seen the Romeo and Juliet The face that stuff. launched a thousand emo ships. Oh my god. But anytime I've seen this done, though, it's her talking to him lying lifeless. Yeah, no. And this, and he's instead, dying. And instead, he is actively dying. And she's like... When she says, like, I will kiss your lips and get poison from them, that kind yeah. of thing. The shot is of her over his shoulder, but his shoulder's in frame, and he's twitching. Yeah. Like, while she's... And I was like, fuck, that's really good. Yeah. That's great direction. Yep. Because, like, you know, yeah. DiCaprio didn't have to do that in that shot. He, no. He'd done his, you know, no. his sides. No. He's alive for so much of this. Yeah. And, and, and the poison, that is so messed up. <laughs> and the poison's not enough. So yeah. she looks, and his he, he left his dagger there, his sword, whichever whichever caliber it is. and um, <laughs> His gun. Yeah, well, she puts... The side of the monogram pillows. Yeah. JC pillows. JC pillows for Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> no, sorry, Jesse Custer from Preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Juliet Capulet. And yeah. she puts the gun to her head, blows her brains out. It's bloodless. Yeah. It's just a faraway shot of her, like, you know, sitting right. on this altar and, the, and, and then boom, a, and then she falls down. Yeah, and then a close up of, like, there is a little blood spatter, but yes. also he's got a very Hawaiian shirt of, like, blues and reds. Yeah. So. And the shot's, like, yeah. this wildly canted overhead angle. Yes, it where is. Where he's there at the top of the frame looking like. Were this oriented normally towards gravity, they should slide off this altar wow. and fall to the ground. No, I know. I'm just saying, yeah. like that's it's a wild angle. Yeah. Um, and all the the the, the place is full of candles, yeah. and you know, and it slowly just like pans up, and you know that could be the end of the movie. But then we get Von D. Curtis Hall doing that monologue about how like he's like you know not even love could save your families from this you know accursed blood feud basically. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So the film, so you asked this question at the beginning of the episode, and I didn't answer it. Okay. Yeah. But you said, why do they open with the monologue and then do it again? Yeah. And it's it's probably, like, the, the real reason is probably that, like, they filmed the opening as it was, and then they went back and added and the framing the... device to sure. give it, you know, something else. Yeah. Um, to help ease you into the idea that, like, this is, you know, so the framing device of... It's a TV very far away. We slowly push in on a news report, and it's the report of this story. And then we kind of flash back to the beginning of the story and watch it all happen. Yeah. And then we cut back, and the TV is there, and we slowly pan away, not pan, but pull back away from it. Yeah. And it's the beginning and the end of the, the play. Yeah. Um, and so 
that works in your mind to tell you this is a story that already happened. It is in the past, therefore it is old. Yeah. Which works with the ye oldy, you know, iambic pentameter dialogue. Sure. Yeah, yeah. To be like, right, right, this already happened. Even though you're seeing it as like a modern thing, like that kind of thing. It's sort of as though you were reading the play and interpreting it in a modern context in your mind. Okay. Rather than, you know. But more than. They, they didn't update. They, they, they didn't update also, dialogue. They're not, you know. Yeah, but. They're not, again, they're not changing swords to guns. They're changing guns to swords. You yes. know, like. But my my thing was that they then had like the the stylized of like with Ted. Well, Capu- that's the thing or is Ted, that Ted Montague. The movie whatever, opens yeah. with a goddamn trailer for itself. Yeah, and then like it it's... ends as they're dying with a clip show. Of okay. of the film. Yeah, and I think again both those things those bookends sure. feel very natural born killers to me. Very commentary of what media looks like media looks and like what at the time. Yes, storytelling looks like. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I sure. Think, and I, sure. I I don't know. You know. How it's well... the behind the music of the yeah and like how well they yeah. work for you, you might know, depend on your yeah. media consumption and the time period in which you do so okay. but they both but there's an echo there it's at both ends yeah so it doesn't feel like it's completely unearned or unresolved yeah and i appreciate that i think like i don't know necessarily that i think it i needed it yeah. But also, you know, this is the only form I've ever seen it in. If there was, like, a different cut that maybe didn't have those things, maybe I'd feel differently. But mm-hmm. and, and I think this all works. Yeah. Um. So, I don't want to, you know, belabor the... Is there anything else you want to talk about specifically from it? No. I just wanted to get into uh, the verdict. Yeah, yeah. You I was can go say, first. I don't want to belabor the point. I, I still think this is a great watch. But this is, like, for me, a very strong great watch. A, a pretty high, if not the highest recommend. Um. It can be a little... Those first 10 minutes are rough. Like I said, there are cartoon sound effects and the editing is a lot. But after that, it smooths out and becomes really engrossing. It's a a great and very interesting approach to, you know, modernizing these classic stories. There's also... We, like, talked a little bit. There's a lot of humor. Um, I mentioned, like... There's a lot of fake advertising in this, which I like. Yes. Um, There are, like, Coca-Cola billboards. But they're called, like, L'Amour. Yeah. And, you know, it's just because that font looks good with the, like, word L'Amour, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, L'Amour, where, are, where, where art thou, L'Amour? You know, like, mm-hmm. where is my love? There is a, a, a billboard for, I think, bullets that says, like, brandish thunder or something. Mm-hmm. But the, the billboard, like, there's a giant bullet blasting its way through the billboard. So a bunch of the billboard is missing and you can see through it. Uh, and it's kind of like that corn video where we follow a bullet the whole time. You know what I'm talking about. Um... <laughs> And there's a sign for, uh, like, a beachfront shop called the Merchant of Verona, which is, like, a double-down pun. Yeah. It's like a pun within a pun, wrapped in an enigma. Yeah. Wrapped in an eclair. Um, but, no, it's... Stuffed so, in a turkey. Yeah, so, like, you know, we're, we're trading Venice Beach for Verona Fair Verona. Mm-hmm. And so Merchant of Venice is famously a play by Shakespeare. So by calling it Merchant of Verona, it's like a hat on a hat kind of, but it's really funny. And I I saw that and it broke my brain for a second where I was like, wow. And I was like, that's a really good joke. It's like a joke so good that I didn't laugh at it. I just appreciated it. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of humor in this. There's a lot of so much style. It's like losing style. It's like leaving style at the side of the road in scenes. Um, the tonal changes, which are 
inherent to the text are preserved you know these characters are clowns they're here to make you know certain audience members laugh this storyline is for the people who want to see a romance like everything you know it's that it's that yeah something for everybody something for everybody yes um shakespeare thing and like or the thing that really good kids movies do where it's like you are still having things that literally everybody can enjoy yeah and that's not looked upon like i'm sure that you've made this rant before because it's something we talk about a lot but like where what you should be striving for is things that are smart because even if kids don't understand them they will dumbing things down because it's a kid's movie and nobody cares isn't doing anybody any favors right do something make a piece of art that can can reveal new depths as the kid grows up with it yeah right and and that was kind of what a lot of the shakespearean plays were where it had some like base humor but it also had some loftier things in it because ideally it was something that anybody going to the theater could have something they like in it right yeah yeah and, you know, and then also, like, not trying to please everybody, but definitely trying to represent everybody, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yes, as I said, yeah. for yeah. that reason, this is, like, all but the strongest recommend Great Watch from me. Yeah. I'm going to have to uh, change my, my verdict on this. So, I think I didn't have a strong enough idea of this play or of the theater in general, the stuff that I liked the most besides just having some actors that I really loved doing some things that I really liked was also just like, again, some of the line reads that we talked about that were really fresh takes on this text where that is really the cool part about theater is having somebody have an approach to a scene that gives it a different meaning. And that yeah, was I mean, that was great, and I didn't see it because I was, I think, too young to really recognize what was happening. And I mean, that's the that's the thing about the concept of remakes that you know is good. Yeah, is that like, oh, you have a, a fresh approach, you have like yeah. a new way to look at this, or you know, yeah. to show me a new way to look at it. But so many people don't do that, and they just rehash Re- the same old shit yeah. right it's the same thing but with actors that are current as opposed to actors who are from yeah. a previous era of right. actors and right it's like, and maybe updated effects or whatever right but, it's like, and, but you didn't change anything right like w- then why remake this why not just right. make a new thing whereas like i i know we talk amongst ourselves like the more interesting thing would be to take a thing that had a good idea but didn't get executed well or didn't oh, yeah. do well and remake that because maybe you can do a good idea better. Right. I mean, like, that's not how IP works anymore. Like, right. they'll never remake a thing that wasn't popular because right. nobody knows that name and therefore right. no one's going to buy a ticket based on their like of it from before. Right. Hoping that, I guess their hope is that they just made the same thing again. But yeah. when I go see a remake of something, I want them to do something new with it. Like, yeah. I want, you know, the thing from another world, that's my example, thing from another world is what it is and then the thing... But John Carpenter is a totally different fucking approach and yep. movie. They or, start with the same impetus and they go completely different directions. And they're both very good at what they are doing because they're doing different things. Or what I always fall back on because it's the thing that we actually did was our Suspiria conversation. Yeah. We talked a lot about both the remake and the original because they're yeah. very different movies. Yes. Yeah. And it's the same thing where the, the germ of the idea is the same, but thankfully... 
you know, Luca doing... Gu- Guadagnino, I think is how you pronounce it. But like, did a different thing. Was like, this is how we're going to interpret this, right? And that's fucking beautiful because yes. you know what, Spiria exists. Yeah. I have it, and then I also bought the new one. And they both existed at the same time. I held them both in my hands, and it it's gave like, me sexual power. <laughs> I just like my brain can hold. I just I don't know. Like you can have more than one Suspiria, everybody. My sword as a treat. pulsed. Yeah, my sword pulsed with bullets. What? Oh, my metaphors are getting mixed. Anyway, yeah, but so this this was a great watch. My my you know silly teenage you know preteen. Yeah, yeah. My my saltiness was un. Oh, listen, I agree. Like I was oversaturated with with Leonardo DiCaprio at the time yeah. as well. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody I knew was like, he's yeah. so dreamy. And I was just like, he's just a dude. Yeah. He's a dude with a weird face. Yeah. Um, um, well, the first thing I remember the... seeing him in that I loved was Catch Me If You Can. And then everything since then has been just like me going like, yeah, no, dude's got it. Well, here's the thing, man. Like, it, you know, at like 15, 16, 17, whatever. Like, I didn't know what good acting was. Yeah. You know, what I wanted from movies was to see a character who was like me, a white male. Mm-hmm. Who was cool and had zingers. Yeah. You know, and like... Which won. does not describe most Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio roles. No, and like one, you know. Yeah. Like I wanted John McClane from Die Hard. Yeah. A guy. He's a white male. He's the underdog, kind of, but he never is without... He's never at a loss for words. He never doesn't have a plan. And in the end, he wins, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted from basically every movie, you know? And, like, a lot of action movies, that's what they are, and that's why action movies are popular with a lot of white males. But, like, yeah, DiCaprio as an actor, you know, I would go back and watch other films that I'd seen before and be like, oh, I never appreciated him in this. He's really doing something. Like, yeah. what's eating Gilbert Grape? It's yeah. a it's a very, like, yeah. you know, earnest, trying, very hard to be honest performance. Yeah. Um, and, like, he's done that a lot of his career. Yeah. Except when he well, didn't have to, which is, like, so he, I Jack think, in Titanic. He doesn't yeah. have to try. He's just handsome guy he, who think, likes a girl. He, I think, is one of those rare instances where he was too good looking for how good of an actor he was. And he was that weird looking. gave him a 90s lot of... were weird. I know. They decided okay. people were good looking and... Anyway. Yeah. So, great watch all around. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to do the farewells? Uh, Yeah. So, if you want to write to us, you can write to us at write, hate, watch, great watch. That's W-R-I-T-E-H-W-G-W at gmail.com. You can like us on, uh, not like us, but you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Follow. Yeah, you should follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HWGW Podcast. Uh, you can find us every other Wednesday. That is every, every other, other Wednesday. Wednesday at MovieJohn.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, join us on the MovieJohn Patreon. We are on there as well as with a bunch of our other um, friends and like co-writers and podcasters and stuff. And we do some stuff on there that uh, is extra stuff for you. And we're just coming up with more stuff that hopefully we're going to be rolling out in this next year the the 2022 no that's the year we're in now it's february i mean this this the next year of the year that we're in yeah it's uh patreon.com slash movie john is our patreon you should support it yes a lot of fun stuff and more stuff coming all the time yep uh so yeah definitely tune in uh next week for the continuation of our loving with lerman loving with lerman Continues next week. 
Do you want to tell them what episode, like what the what the movie is? No, it'll be a surprise. Okay, it'll be a surprise. You, right, you'll sorry. find out on the off Wednesday. Hunter will announce it on the Twitters yeah, and yeah. the Instagrams. A week, a week yeah. after this. Uh, but for now, bye. Yeah, thanks for thanks for <laughs> putting up with this. Yes. And bye. Bye. I'm not gonna give examples, but um, he doesn't like to toot his own horn. No, I don't. I'm not. Because he's a singer. Yeah, it's not a thing. <laughs> not a flautist. That's not a horn. I know. I know. Flat's I couldn't. I couldn't think of what to say. Couldn't think of any horn, trumpet, or the ones that have oh. horn in the name, like French horn. Yeah. Okay. Tuba. Yeah. That's okay. it. <laughs> End of list. <laughs> Ah. This has been a Movie John podcast. <laughs> <laughs>